Your notes and information right here, right now. Welcome to Just Twerts, your weekly helper for anything twerts related. I'm your host, Brent Lian. When you, yeah. you're, are you gonna ask the questions? And then how do we know who is gonna answer it? Doesn't matter, just go with the phone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Alright, so this is Just Towards the Podcast. This is our first special episode. On this episode, we'll be talking uh, about how to approach the problem question because obviously it's different from all of the essay questions that we did in Foundies. Uh, and I have on the episode Justin, Wo, and Peter. They will be giving us quality advice on how to tackle your first problem question. For the second part of the podcast, we'll briefly talk about you know some of the mental health issues. Our essential message is if you're feeling stressed out, which you shouldn't be, definitely seek help if you can. And yeah, we'll go into more detail about that. So let's just jump to the topic. What did you guys feel like when you got the problem question? Was it very different from like, the essay questions that we did? Was it a struggle to prepare for it? Yeah, I thought obviously it was quite <laughs> difficult. It's very easy to put off. So I think the question is how early should you start preparing for the problem question? I think you should start preparing as early as possible, mm-hmm. but also make sure that you do the readings on the topic before um, you approach the problem question, because otherwise you won't know enough material to actually answer it properly. Just to give a specific number, I'd say aim to start three to four weeks before the due date at a maximum. Wait, three or four weeks? That's like when the uni started. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Th- okay, well, change after three weeks. Um, <laughs> so maybe in the second week of uni, maybe we'll release this episode in the second week. Yeah, just yeah. Just to let you guys, just let <laughs> the listeners prepare for the... Uh, I mean, I'm not saying I did this by any means, but um, but I think that's the goal. I think problem question assignments take a while to perfect. You're going to be revising and changing your answer throughout the process anyway, especially as you discuss with, with your classmates and your other peers. Just giving yourself enough time to actually change is also crucial. Yeah, when you say preparing for the problem question, like what do you usually do? Do you just read the cases or do you like talk with your friends? Maybe you have a Skype call with them to discuss? Like, what do you guys usually do in order to prepare? I would look at, like, the main issues in the problem question and then read the cases on those issues and then draft... Like a scaffold? Like a scaffold of all um, the issues that you found. And often it's good if you have them as questions and then after you've done issue into a question and then answer that question um, and then it's good to discuss it with friends after that to see whether you got the so same so you discuss with the friends after you figure yeah. out the issues yeah would it be useful to discuss before like even if you don't know what the problem question actually is I think it's best to get your point of view first yeah. otherwise you can just blindly follow someone and most likely you won't understand it at a thorough level and I would definitely say before you even look into the issues in depth make sure you've read the whole of every case in the unit outline that's being assessed yeah, I think like it's, it's difficult but you have to. Those are where the marks are, reading different judgments, the dissentients. Especially those foundational cases like um, Donahue and Stevenson. And, and also, if you like discuss it with friends before doing it, then yeah. they might tell you something that's wrong, and then everyone agrees on it. Do you and speak then from them. experience? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened with me as well. I tried to discuss with my friends because it's so hard to, you know, just know basically what this question actually refers to. Eventually, it wasn't a good strategy. I think it's better, much better, like you said, to think about it first, form your own opinion, and then talk about with friends to see if there's any difference. Yeah. All right. How many drafts did you guys have for the final response? Maybe two, three, I'm guessing. I don't know what you mean by like drafts, but it's more, let's say I write 3,000 words even. You'd have a really large amount of content. Right. You'd cut it down and you might be done a week before. I wasn't for my first <laughs> assessment. But then you just constantly, constantly change it. Yeah. So maybe not separate drafts, but, you know, changing your ideas when you talk to more people. Because sometimes you will realize when you're arguing with friends and you do tend to argue, sometimes you'll have different views that perhaps you're wrong and you will change your arguments. I don't think it's something to shy away from. 
I'd also say very different to an essay. Concision is very, very important. You will be trying to cut down your word limit. Almost everyone is a thousand words over the word limit when they first start. Really? <laughs> I, I actually found that I'm never over the word limit. I'm like a hundred words over the word limit, and then everyone else is like a thousand. No, I mean, so, but that's like everyone else I know is always really over the word limit. But I try and just like write it really concise from the beginning onwards, um, because then you already know that then you won't have to cut words later. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I, I, I think I'm definitely more similar to Peter in the sense that um, my first draft I had spent about 250 to 300 words on, on things like burden of proof, which ended up being entirely tangential so I, I think yeah like like Peter said there's a there's a tendency to, to end up finishing your first draft about a thousand words um, in excess but yeah again it's it's more about just changing and revising it constantly yeah, definitely. Rather than separate drafts, at least from my experience. I guess, like, a few mistakes I made when I was first drafting is it was my first, you know, assignment. So I thought, yes, I should use all the Latin phrases I can that I've read, oh, yeah. which <laughs> I really shouldn't for the sake of them. I think that was a phase that all of us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or just use superfluous language, that, like the word superfluous, that yeah. wasn't necessary. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's a good example. I think especially our first years coming from high school and, you know, having done HSE English and that sort of thing, they kind of have this misconception that good writing is overly complex, roundabout, verbose, which I think is entirely wrong. And I think something that's extremely crucial to do well in law is just the ability to write concisely and clearly, especially like as a practitioner, like you need to be able to communicate ideas in a lucid, clear way. Uh, I was going to say, my first choice assignment, I wanted to make it really good. So I looked for all possible cases for each principle and then looked for cases that weren't actually in the course. Oh. And then I ended up losing marks because they said you were just supposed to use like the main cases and not cite more than one case for yeah, one idea. It, the reason for that I can imagine is if the case is too old, you actually have a better case on point, which is like more recent, yeah. then you don't really have to cite the one before yeah. that, right? You just cite the, the one that's like directly on point. Yeah, and also like cases outside of the unit of study outline. Because How those... much time did it take you to, to go through that legal research <laughs> process? A long time. I, I did a similar mistake, wanting to have, you know, as many footnotes as possible, yeah. wanting to cite all relevant cases and often have much better approaches to find the one this towards is very factual find the most factually similar case yep. and then go in depth about that you know maybe talk about two different judgments that, that's where the marks are opposed to just yeah I reckon it's not about the number of cases that you have it's about yeah. the kind of the type of cases that you have and what kind of discussion you can sort of weave in I, I definitely don't think you should approach the referencing as kind of like a checklist like yeah you've got a specific number of footnotes in mind that you want to reach at the end. I think one of my mistakes was that I, I didn't really engage deeply with any particular judgments, so I didn't use the, the language of the ratio or whatever to it to a large extent. And I think you very much need to connect the language to your own reasoning in a very clear, explicit way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then also, like, if you're engaging with cases, it's good to, if they have a similar fact, to distinguish them and to kind of um, go into it and say, oh, they're similar in these ways, but this is the difference and that's why I arrive at a different conclusion to what they had in the judgment. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Lovely contribution from all of you. For our next question, I think we, we've already covered some of it. Briefly, like, what are some of the things that you wish you would have done but you haven't and you want to tell the listeners maybe to like do it earlier? This may seem like very self-evident, 
but make sure what you're writing is correct. Can you give an example? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so for example, we in our case, it was dealing mainly with the Civil Liability Act, false imprisonment, but alcohol intoxication was a part. So I thought it would be very intelligent to look at criminal law and see how they treated it, and then try to purvey it over. Um, yeah. I think especially for torts, like I wouldn't recommend that kind of approach. Probably further down the line, I think innovation like that is rewarded more mm-hmm. once you actually understand different areas of law. But, you know, torts being your first substantive law subject, I think it might be a bit risky to, to try and draw connections between other areas of law you haven't studied. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I also think, like, in torts, I always did the readings, but I never really prepared the problem questions for each tutorial because I thought, oh, we'll discuss that in class anyway. Right. So then when we were discussing the answers, you couldn't really learn much from that. So I think if you start preparing the problem questions for tutorial, you'll find it much easier to then answer the problem questions in the assignments. Yeah, because the problem question in the assignment is just more like an extended version of the problem question in our tutorial. Like if you have time, definitely go for it. It's going to help you a lot with getting to the assignment. I guess I could also add just one small thing. Yeah, one thing that, like a big mistake I made, and I did it in found these two, is um to try to reference at the end. You know, maybe I'd have footnotes and I'd say, just very briefly at the bottom, page 15 of this case, or page 15 of this book, and then just leave it to the end to reference. And you realize AGLC is actually quite complex, which I'm sure... <laughs> we're, that... we're doing a separate episode. Oh, <laughs> so I'm not even going to touch that. No, but, yeah. yeah, it's good. You gave an introduction yeah. to it. You inspired yeah. the idea. The special <laughs> rules for headings, the special rules for italicization yeah, of different P-P-P. languages. Yeah. 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 yeah, so and a lot of people still get it wrong in second and third year, so. Yeah. yeah, I think something that tends to be lost in like kind of the nitty-gritty of law school is prioritizing, or, or just being mindful of certain cases being binding over lower courts, for example. I feel like in, in torts, particularly, we were taught a bunch of um, Supreme Court cases and cases from lower courts, but it, it doesn't really matter I feel like if you learn a bunch of of um, Supreme Court uh, cases with, you know, obiter uh, that muses on a certain point of law if there's a high court case that directly so overturns it. So you still the persuasive cases from the Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think just be mindful that some cases are binding and others are persuasive. Right. Um, you always go for the binding one. Yeah, you you always uh, preference the binding one over and then the if, persuasive. If there's no binding cases out there, then you... Then you'd use the persuasive, yeah. Or if you're advancing a policy argument, then you could use persuasive, but... Right. Alright, for the second part of our podcast, we would like to briefly talk about the issue of mental health. As you guys are probably aware of, over 20% of law students suffer from depression and one of the biggest problems with depression is that people usually tend to shy away from help because they think that misery begs company and they're not familiar with the procedure, they're not sure where to seek help. So we would like to tackle that stigma and I think Justin has a set of pretty comprehensive notes on this area. So we'll just give the mic to him. Obviously, um, it's completely normal to, to feel overwhelmed and, and sometimes you need to seek support elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important to remember that there are a variety of, of services that you can access that are offered by the uni for free. One of those is CAPS, so Counseling and Psychological Services, which is basically just the, the university's go-to um, psychological support service. Um, so to access that service, all you need to do is, is to contact them, send them an email or call them. Just Google Counseling and Psychological Services you said. Um, And then uh, they'll set you up with, I I think, a 10 to 15 minute initial consultation just to determine the kind of support that you'll likely need. It's like a conversation at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's really important to remember that these people are certified, registered, qualified um, practitioners. And That's true. 
they've, they're, you know, they're, they're beholden to the same kind of regulation and, and obligations yeah, yeah. that normal practitioners are, whether that be confidentiality and, and et cetera, et cetera. Another one is obviously the special considerations regime. Um, Isn't it really hard to apply to those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so, so you'll, I mean, obviously, if you go on usage rants and, and that sort of thing, you'll hear all day about how the system is, is, is flawed. Well, I can't believe we're talking about usage rants. <laughs> <laughs> and it's far from perfect, but um, ultimately it is there to help you. What you do need, though, is the requisite documentation. Uh, and applications also can't be made more than three days after the relevant assessment. So I guess the earlier before the due date you apply, uh, the higher your chances of, uh, of a successful application. Right. Especially because they often take a few days to actually process and get back to you. If yeah. I could add on that, if you're sick and you do have medical certification, but you feel like you only need an extra day or two, sometimes it's a lot easier and a lot less stressful to go to your head lecturer or your tutor and ask for a simple extension because that's a discretionary measure and they can give you a two-day extension pretty much on the spot and then so having like email them or like email yeah just them. send them an email just say you know I'm, I'm very sorry and this isn't only medical sometimes if you're having family issues issues that the special consideration scheme doesn't offer your lecturer can help and give you a two working day extension obviously that's a discretionary measure depending on your lecturer they might be more lenient or less lenient Right. But sometimes that can really help, or even if you plan on applying for special consideration, you can still apply for a simple extension first. Yeah. And knowing that you have those three days is good for your peace of mind, what I found from experience. Yeah. Did you sure. guys try to... Yeah. Once I, I was sick for two weeks and I was knocked out and I had an assessment due and I hadn't started and it was due the next day, so I applied for um, special consideration. But they told me they'd only get back in three working days' time. So by the time I had an answer, if they denied it, I'd lose 30%. Right. So obviously that's just, you know, not Unha helpful. Unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. So if you ask for a simple extension, you explain your circumstances, they can give you that three-day extension or two-day yeah. extension. So you have that peace of mind to try to get the best thing done by then and then get your results. So that's a scheme that a lot of people aren't aware of, but that is helpful. Well, I think that when you're doing an assignment or anything, you should just like remind yourself that everyone is feeling really stressed. And I think to deal with it, it's good if you um, schedule time, even if it's like one hour a day after uni, mm. to just start working on the assignment. And then once you start, you'll start feeling much better about it. Because you're not procrastinating. You, you don't feel yeah. like, oh, it's like 0%. You feel like every day I'm still working on it a bit by a bit. Yeah, that's a really good way to control it, in my opinion. <laughs> um, adding on to that, I think one of the biggest problems that law students face is, is often one that's um, self-imposed, which is setting really high expectations for ourselves, often yeah. unrealistic expectations. Especially when you're in first year and you're coming from uh, an environment where you've excelled academically um, all the time and you get to law school and your marks might be a bit underwhelming. Something that's really crucial is to, to be able to balance your expectations with what's realistic and then so as to not set ourselves up for, for acute disappointment and anxiety afterwards. We really have to keep things in perspective and a little known fact as well is that uh, Sir Owen Dixon, the, the greatest Australian jurist ever, was a terrible law student as well. So uh, I, well, I guess look where he ended up. Is he listening to the show? He's dead. Oh, he's dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately. But <laughs> so if you fail your exams, you will die. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also really agree with that. I think you should just remind yourself that if you do try and study and try and do your best, then you know at least you've given it all you could and you should just be proud of yourself. And after all, it's just one exam and you have so many more units to go and you're only in first year. So it doesn't really matter 
how well you do and I think you also really learn from your mistakes like if you did something really wrong in your problem question or your exam you'll remember it for the rest of your law degree yeah, and then you true. won't do that again I think normally generally people's marks sort of go up after the first yeah. problem question or the essay because they realize oh like I did the wrong citation, I've cited the wrong case, next time just improve and you can get better marks. Uh, one thing as well um, is that, I mean, if you've passed by the cells office on, on the lower level, I think, you will have seen the, the rack where they offer um, all of their publications and, and all of their handouts. And the cells equity handbook is a resource that's invaluable, I guess, in terms of uh, learning how to deal with um, stress and basically in just accessing information in terms of what's available. Uh, in the way of support. Just grab one of those. So just grab one of those, or, or you can also access it um, online as well. Uh, and that basically walks you through the process of applying for special considerations, accessing simple extensions, uh, accessing CAPS as well. Um, so that's something that's also very helpful. Um, and I also think it's important to like focus on other things because if you just spend hours and hours on your assignment, you'll kind of feel like you're losing your mind and you're not getting anywhere. And then if you just take a day off and do something fun, you'll feel like you can really get back to studying. What would you recommend? Something fun? Something fun, <laughs> like go for a walk, do some sport, yeah. or like any hobby that you have. Physical activities maybe? Yeah, to just take your mind off it or like meet up with friends and then you feel much better and you feel like maybe you thought of new ideas in that time yeah. and you'll have a better approach to working on your assignment or problem question. That's true. I think just don't sit for too long. Go out for a walk, yeah. play basketball or something so you can get more dynamic. I think sitting alone at a computer, yeah, if you sit for too long, it's definitely not going to make you feel better. At the end of the day, the most important thing is to realize the vast majority of the law faculty have gone through similar issues and, and do understand. And for many people I know, it may like you may feel they're unapproachable, but the vast majority will attempt to help. If, if you go to them honestly, say you're having these problems, that there is a lot of help available. Okay, then that should be all. We are nine seconds away from hitting that 30 minute mark. <laughs> Four seconds, okay. I, I think it's, uh, it's great that we actually discussed this today, and I hope people like this special episode that we're doing. It's our first one, and it's also the first episode in which we have three curators. I think it worked out well. And do you guys have anything, like, just like one sentence to, to want to say to listeners? We have some listeners from, like, Ireland, Thailand, Korea, so go for it. You know, everyone's problems are relative, so it um, doesn't matter whether or not you're in first year or wherever, what stage of your degree you're at. Uh, it's just important to remember that everyone's different and there are support services available to you should you need. Yeah, sounds good. And I think just always try your best and don't always compare yourself to other people because everyone has different abilities and you might um, improve over the years whereas others might be better at boundaries or torts and just work for your own like work <laughs> to achieve your own goals and set um, goals that you think are reasonable and that you can actually get to. I guess I'll finish and sound like an old man, but <laughs> a regular sleep pattern is actually very helpful and that's something I still haven't achieved. Yeah. But going to sleep and waking up at approximately the same time is that's a decent difficult. sleep. That's the most difficult thing that can <laughs> Possibly the most difficult thing in law, but it's very helpful, I've heard from the people that achieve it. <laughs> Alright, we'll see you guys in our next episode and We'll have two or three more special episodes on this, so definitely stay tuned. Yeah, that should be all for today. Goodbye. See ya. They take the trespass out too, yeah. Yeah, put vicarious liability 
pretty much instead. Yeah, that's fantastic. Like the parent way, yeah. They, they do it in like a week, and then they do it like vicarious life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit different, yeah, weird. Oh shit, I just did it wrong like the, the episode on Trespass. Like, <laughs> 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 no, I think we still cover it though. And it'll be helpful to this year's cohort anyway. Alright.